All right, welcome back. I'm here with my longtime friend and colleague, Michael Manning. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, gosh, it's fantastic seeing you. Um, hopefully, we'll be together in person before too long. Uh, we have, I mean, I'll speak for myself. I've had the great pleasure of knowing you for a dozen years, give or take, and you have progressed in this discipline of people analytics and workforce planning. You've built a capability in a few organizations. You've been an educator. So, I mean, I'm really excited for you to be sharing today. So if you would, please introduce yourself a bit more and what we're gonna be talking about today. Sure, thanks you. Um, so as I'll mention, boy, I bet it has probably been 12, 15 years, whatever. Um, I think we've probably had dinner in six or eight cities across the U.S. speaking at different conferences over the years. Um, so my name's Michael Manning, and I've been in HR analytics for quite a while. Um, I self-selected into HR after kind of a career in operations and engineering, and I found out if you could do math, all of a sudden, like a, if you do a standard deviation, you were like a genius in HR. I th that has since changed. I look at the new batch of people that have come in and it is a completely different world. These are some really smart people. They're trained in it, have better tools, all of that. But uh, we kind of came in when it was like PowerPoint and Excel were the tools that you worked with. Yep. And um, the, the stuff that we did in the past that was great is table stakes now. So I've progressed through and I've worked at, uh, I've been a VP at three Fortune 500 companies doing this type of work. And um, previously led another large team doing HR operational work. And I've spent some time in actually using some of Val's materials, which I liked a lot. I called them and said, hey, yeah, I got, you got some great stuff, I wanna use it. Um, teaching finance in an MBA program, as well as uh, analytics and workforce planning in that same program. Well, you know, again, I'm excited on a personal level. I'm excited on a professional level because one of the things that you have done is connect the analytics with, with planning and specifically, you know, workforce planning. So if we can start right there, uh, what is workforce planning to you and related, what's its purpose? Yeah, so it does mean different things at different companies. And I think people get scared by thinking you have to do all of it all at once. So you, you kind of figure out what's important to the company and, and try to address that. And so to, to your question, the workforce planning to me is understanding what that workforce is gonna be in the future to meet your business strategy. And that's probably the real easy way of saying it, but it's hard to do. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily headcount planning, but headcount planning is part of it. Skills planning is part of it. But it's, um, it's planning for that future workforce you're going to need, not just the workforce you would need right now if the business strategy happened, because things are evolving so rapidly in the technology space that the skills you're going to need in five years maybe aren't out there yet. Right. Um, you try to figure out what the skills are that would lead to those skills or the workforce. And then on top of that, layer in diversity. And that's really been one of the hot areas in talent right now, um, actually for the last few years is getting really that holistic workforce in place that's inclusive, that's bringing in ideas from all different areas and that can deliver on the business strategy to satisfy your customers. And then you can you know, link that back to, to your um, business metrics. You know, as you're sharing, and I've had been I've been privy to your slides before today's uh, discussion. So, uh, one thing I want to call out is that everything that you just talked about is uh, 
different functions. They have different leaders and to organize them in a cohesive way and making sure the measurement and the analyses are for a certain audience so they can in turn you know, make appropriate decisions. How, if we might just start off with this uh, as well, how do you convene such a group and generate this energy and uh, engagement around the content and insights that you're producing? Well, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I found with this type of work, change management starts before the project actually starts. So you need to think who could potentially benefit and approach them um, with curiosity and say, we're thinking about doing this. Give me your thoughts. How could we do it better? Bring them in as the experts because they really are the experts in their area and try to get the group together and thinking of kind of that North Star of where we could go and don't start out with what we have, start out with what we should do. So um, another piece of my background, I'm a Six Sigma black belt and I like to steal tools from that and put it onto HR. <laughs> One of my favorite ones for what you just talked about is a SIPOC chart and that stands for SIPOC supplier input, process, output, customer. And sometimes we fall in the trap of this is the data we have. So that's, we're going to start at the beginning with our supply and our input. You want to start at the other side with who's our customer and then work backwards. And I like to think about the customer and I want to think about the decision or the action they need to make. And then what that customer is going to need, the output that would help them make that the process to get it, the, um, the inputs that we would use and then the supplier. And quite often those are the pieces that overlooked and um, you can go and you can actually create the data or find it somewhere to be able to get them better answers. <laughs> Michael, I love you so much. <laughs> it's just, it, I'm just, I, I can't emphasize that point enough. I think so many have come in and okay, this is the data. I'm gonna try and make magic out of it. And the reality is oftentimes the data is inappropriate or incomplete to answer the questions leaders want or need to know. Therefore, again, correct me if I'm wrong from your perspective, this is a creative endeavor. It, we have to either go create data, we have to acquire data, but we have to also do this with certain ethical considerations, privacy considerations, and all these uh, other factors that it really, you know, I'd like your opinion on this. It, it takes a level of expertise. It takes a level of experience to know some of the, the landmines here. Is that you know, something that you see as well? It, and more landmines are being laid every day. Mm. Um, we have GDPR, and I don't want to call it a landmine, but it does open up some other, some other things you need to think about. Um, we have things like that in Singapore and California and probably many other places that are moving towards the uh, data privacy. And it's really starting to weigh what you can and should work with, with what you're allowed to work with data-wise. Um, and there's different pressures coming in now. We have so many more people that want workforce data. Um, what was it, 2018, the Security Exchange Commission came out with um, the modified disclosures. So for the first time in 30 years, now human capital is being reported in 10Ks and annual reports. Um, ESG investing, the S from ESG. So you have investors that are looking at this as well as regulators. You have um, existing clients. I've worked for a number of companies where clients want 
a lot of this data on your workforce. And then you have um, stockholders. So one of the one of the links I shared with you was from a 2022 State Street report, and they're looking for uh, organizations to be disclosing their their diversity data and the actions they're taking on that data. And if they're not doing it, they're using their proxy votes to change the people on the board. That's that type of stuff has not been done before, and I um, I think it's a little bit of a different world there. Yeah, so, I think it's a lot of different world. I mean, there's accountability where formerly there was not accountability. Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, a beautiful thing in one perspective. It's also a very daunting thing in an, in another perspective. Hey, so something I want to talk about um, as we, you know, it's effectively the title of our, our session. And I know you have slides to so bring them up as you deem appropriate. But one of the things that you've connected and not only identifying the customer, but if an organization is going to continually adapt, if they're going to continually innovate, which many purport they want to, uh, they have to be thinking about the data itself. So the connection between HR data and the people um, and the people related data that's being generated all the time and where an organization you know, wants to go, whether it be you know, with the future of work or workforce planning or employing experience design, whatever it's called in that organization. So can you talk about that connection? We just alluded to it, but you need arguably a data strategy if you're going to be doing employee experience design and initiatives that are gonna affect the employee experience. Would you echo that? And how would you qualify the connection there? I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, one of the one of the things you brought up earlier was sometimes you need to create the data you don't have. So I'll give you an example from several years ago, and then we can kind of modernize it with some of the future of work. Um, when we were doing workforce planning, we were looking at our headcount forecasts. We were thinking we need to understand the real estate and the office requirements to house this workforce, the technology requirements to enable them to do what they're going to do. Um, and then the compensation components so the budget to make sure we pay them. Well, we didn't have a real estate plan for our various job roles. So we reached out to the real estate group. We pulled an extract out of our HRIS system and gave it to the real estate group. And they identified the square footage, the loaded square footage, the office type, um, just over the course of a day in an Excel sheet. And then we flat filed that into a data warehouse and we were able to join it against the workforce forecast and be able to say in the future this is what we would need real estate wise then you can start to make some smarter decisions on if we put this group working next to this group are there synergies um should we be leasing space versus buying space should we be selling selling some of our space um, if you own the buildings so that's that's kind of more of a short view now you think about it with the future of work and if you create a profile for various positions where maybe they're office first, they're remote first, they're um, hybrid first, then you can overlay that where it's maybe like 0.7 of an employee is allocated the, the square footage. And um, as the headcount forecasts come in, you could look at a future of work real estate space on that and maybe modify some of your planning. So cool. So that means that you're bringing these people together on an ongoing recurring basis. Is that right? Or are you doing it kind of on an as need basis? You know, I'm talking about your key stakeholders. Yeah. In the past where I've had the most success doing that at least once a year, probably twice a year. Um, and what we found out, we inadvertently 
by linking the real estate allocations to the headcount forecast and using the headcount forecast for the labor budget, we actually linked the real estate to the, the financial plan. And all of that was linked back to the business strategy because that was driving the headcount forecast. So in essence, we took the real estate strategy and linked it to the business strategy. And that's why they were pretty excited about it. How did that happen? Can you walk us through that? Did that happen because you were invited? Did you hear about this process and inserted yourself? I and mean, how'd that evolve? We just asked around. We asked like 60 people before we started one of the projects um, what they thought workforce planning was and what they would need out of it. And everybody had different ideas. Mm -hmm. And we captured their ideas and reflected them back to them saying we heard it. Um, and we actually used a racy chart to diagram it out for each of them and talked about what they would get and looked at how they were all intertwined. And wow. I mean, we're going to have to uh, investigate that further some other time because that is a wonderful story in that you had the, in, to translate it, you had the uh, space to go and investigate where the insight that you could generate would have the most impact. Uh, that requires relationship equity, you know, time that to ask the right questions, to potentially even have some potentially esoteric conversations where, okay, why is this person, you know, here, what, you know, what can they really do? But then you delivered and I sense that they would either want more of it or they want this on an ongoing recurring basis. Is that right? I think if you can make it their success and you're there to help, it's a lot different than if you're asking them to make you successful. Yeah. So you're Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> if, if you do it right, you can kind of stand back and there will be success has a thousand parents. Failure has one. So <laughs> if it fails, you're that one parent. If it's successful, you can just stand back and be, you know, be proud of how the kids turned out. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. I love your humility and I, you know, what you're sharing is pretty much reality as well. So, Hey, I understand you have a, a couple of visuals that you'd like to share sure. as well. Yeah. Um, so what I'm going to show here is, um, some recent work around considering what your future workforce should be from a DEI perspective, right? So, we all like to be able to say, um, we want to have 40 or 50%, whatever it is, females in, in senior leader roles or underrepresented minorities or people of color in, in this type of role or this level. Um, that's great to say, but you may not be able to turn the ship that fast. So you really want to understand how to do it. And this was a, a model that we've found successful. And I know I've, um, used it kind of a couple of places and talking with my peers, they've done stuff like this too. So these are what drive it. And for the model to work, it really has to be simple. So people need to know where you get the answer from. I think it's fair. That's my Peter Capelli quote there at the bottom. Um, so we thought about it in the most basic way where if you had a starting population minus your departures, plus your external hires, you get your ending population. That's just math. So it's, it's really easy. Um, other parts of the business, they don't have to, you know, think a lot of uh, fluffy HR things. It's just pure math. Then you look at your hiring opportunities, your open positions, um, people leaving your budget on opportunities. 
from there, you can say, we think the Indian population could be this. Then we like to go in and do that like at a business unit level. So um, reaching 50% females in leadership in HR, that's probably not going to be a stretch for many groups. Reaching 50% females in, say, an IT organization and leadership, that might be a little harder. So not everybody is going to contribute the same amount, but you want them to um, really be contributing what makes sense based upon market availability, past hiring and promotion trends, and programs that you're putting in place in the organization. And then you roll that up to an overall goal. So the way, um, the way that we found successful in doing that was doing multiple scenarios. And we would do like, if, if we just keep going on the path we're going, cause we've done, we've done some good work. What is it going to yield in terms of our representation? Um, then you can look at, well, what if we hired to market availability, if that was a little bit higher than we had been doing, or what if we reduced attrition in specific groups? Uh, maybe if you had diverse attrition was higher, you could bring that in parity with non-diverse attrition. Where would that bring you out on your representation? I'm going to put some other ideas in there too, but you want to run those multiple scenarios. And this is the point where it switches from math to business judgment. So you, you can know the, the opportunities, but then you really have to have a conversation. I liked, I liked this chart where you say, here's what we think the upper, the upper possibility is. This is if we, the lower possibility, and here's where we are. What do we think we, where do we think we should end up and where do we think we could end up? And then the business can have a more informed conversation around what they're going to commit to do and how they're going to do it. Michael, if I can pause you right there, uh, the idea of probabilities and exploring different scenarios, I've seen, uh, with certain leaders that there's not a whole lot of patience for such discussions uh, because it can get, oh gosh, you know, that's not, you know, confident enough. And that isn't, uh, you know, we're missing a lot of data and, you know, that's just opinion at the end, end of the day. Uh, you know, I'm not asking you to put any leaders on the spot. What I am asking though, have those discussions been challenging at times? Have you received pushback yeah. or has there been openness to, Hey, you know, this is the best we got and we're going to explore given what we have. Uh, not as much challenge on what the actual historics have been. Cause that's pretty easy to say, this is what it was. And if you really have a question, you're the names. Mm -hmm. The challenge usually comes on, I don't think that's really the market availability for um, a diverse architect in, you know, X geography. Mm. Mm. So usually what I like to do is get the business leaders involved in that market research ahead of time. So when it comes out and then we use it with them, it's not something new that's being thrown at them. They understood where it came from. Um, and there's... This is where we usually will bring in a different third party. So there's a variety of um, companies that can do this for you, usually okay. for, for a small fee. Yeah. But, okay. And if it's if it's a company they've known and has done other type work for them, then they, they seem to trust it a little bit more. But again, okay. at the end of the day, this is, you know, it's, there's some art in this. It's not all science. And that's where their business, uh, their business background and their rationale has to, has to help. Interesting. That's uh when a 
third party comes in, are they coming in to do quote unquote workforce planning or are they coming in to support a certain aspect of it? You know, whether it be usually market, market research, or, market research. Okay. And that, that can come in through your talent acquisition group. I would mm -hmm. ask them who they look at. Um, and there's a, a variety of different ways of getting that information. So you're owning the framing of the process yeah. and what insight is being brought and for what purpose. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to call that out. It was beautiful. I just, cause I correct me if I'm wrong. I say that too much. <laughs> I just call myself out. It, so I view workforce planning as a people or, or process centric approach first, you know, to your point, understanding your internal customers, you know, what they need, when they need it, and then going building from there. So creating a process for which they, by which they consume it for a particular purpose so they can act on it. It's just not, you know, okay, you know, here you go. This is nice to have. This is something that's core to doing uh, your work and making sound decisions. Is that how you approach it, that you're owning the process and you're understanding, you know, who your customers are and then you're bringing the relevant insights, whether that be internally generated or externally generated, so they have that ex desired experience? I think they have to own it. Mm -hmm. So I, I view the role to facilitate it and bring those insights but they really have to own it because at the end of the day, they own the impact that that workforce delivers. And if they don't hit the strategy, it's it's going to be them. Yep. Yep. Love so it. So I think we facilitate. Love it. I, again, I, we haven't had a shared a hug in a long time. You just got an <laughs> even bigger hug going your way. No, I, I, I just couldn't agree more. It's a point that's under... Uh, appreciate it. It's that there's many say, oh, this is my data. This is my insight. You know, they view it as, you know, defending their dissertation and they want to do the big aha. And that's just danger all over the place. You know, to your point, if you have your key stakeholders actually owning uh, the process and the outcomes, then, you know, the sense of, um, uh, well, I was trying to refrain from using the word ownership, but, you know, they're going to feel more attached to it. And you then become the enabler as opposed to, you know, the person who's looking for high fives going down the hall. So, yeah, you want to make them successful. And if you do that, you'll be successful. Yeah. Wow. It's uh, I love your customer first orientation. It's it's it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, do you have any more slides or did I uh, am I miscounting? Um, what just one last one I wanted to to put up is some suggestions as you go through this. Um, bring your legal counsel along in all the stuff you do here because it's pretty easy to go astray and you want to do it in a way where everybody feels comfortable with it and they can commit to it. I know some organizations are actually um, going out and publishing their their goals, their diversity and representation goals. Um, and they're kind of probably going to be the leaders in this space on that. There's other organizations that are um, creating the goals and they're just using them internally. And then I think there's other organizations that probably aren't doing anything in that space. Look at the multiple scenarios. Um, never in life is anything just one scenario. You, you always want to understand those, those different possibilities and, um, you know, figure out if there's a, the right weighting you want to use. If it's a pert weighting, do like a one, four, one on your worst case, um, four on your, your probable and uh, one on your best or, or however they want to do it. If you're trying to model 
various positions that compete for the same seat, you have to keep that in mind. So you can't say we're going to increase our senior female leadership um, to the top extent that we model, and we're going to increase our people of color senior leadership to that same extent, um, unless you're hiring females of color for senior leadership. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people trying to trying to hire them right now. So that's going to be a a place you really want to kind of balance out how all of that comes together and, and use your judgment. Um, oh, you brought this one up. Use an agreed high quality source of data because this is where you're going to get challenged, right? That's the that's the place they're going to challenge. So if they understand it ahead of time, it's not going to be, I disagree with this data. It's going to be, what is this telling us to do? And then have it at your fingertips. Uh, you're going to get asked questions. So you need to be able to pull it up quickly. I, uh, I celebrate what you do, how you do it. It's a lot of fun to listen to you and, and learn from you. For those who participated today, how can they follow you and learn more about you and the work you're doing? I, I'm a little bit old fashioned, so I'm not on a, a ton of social medias, but I am, I am on LinkedIn and um, that's probably the best place to get a hold of me. Well, I mean, I just, you know, as we start to wrap up, it's the case where, you know, I've been inspired by you over the years. I've also uh, recall you know, something that you picked up on that has since been really fundamental to my thinking. Uh, and it was this Chinese proverb, which I've said many times since, is the beginning of wisdom is calling things by their right names. And you repeated that back to me. And I kind of said it kind of in passing. And it it's become more kind of fundamental in terms of the uh, advisory work or when people suggest how to get started, you know, think about the language that you're using and making sure it's understood by your key stakeholders. So as we, as we wrap here, how much time and effort did you put in to create definitions and create a common language uh, within your community of stakeholders? Yeah, that's, the, that's equivalent to sanding and taping before you paint. If you don't do it, it's not going to stick. And if it does stick, it's not going to stick in the right places. So you, you really do have to put that in place. And this is where I think you also want to take it to business language, not HR language. So if you can treat everything um, more like your leaders are going to look at that. And if you're a public traded company, you would want to be able to understand what impacts your share price and be able to tie the workforce back to the impact on the financials, rather it be in balance sheet income statement. Look at those every once in a while, read your annual reports. They have really good information in that. Think back how that translates to your workforce. And if there's things that your CEO is talking about or your CFO is talking about on earnings calls, and you can link that back to people, that's probably gonna, that's probably gonna resonate well. Are you aware of any models that can help facilitate that process? <laughs> I, I think, Alan, I think you may have one, yeah. <laughs> For the HR linkage model, if I remember. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Michael, again, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being you. And yeah, I hope to see you again in person uh, very soon. So thank you. All right. Thanks for having me on. All right. Cheers.